the rule of law is not respected in Venezuela. Human rights of people are not respected for anyone. So if you unite people, take into account their common interests, you will find, or they will find, that they have a common struggle and that they have a common goal. Across the Americas, LGBTI rights are expanding. Last year, Chile and Cuba became the latest countries to legalize same-sex marriage, joining Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Costa Rica, Uruguay, and others. Meanwhile, a 2021 law in Argentina established a quota system reserving at least 1% of public sector jobs to transgender people. Country after country, the region is becoming seemingly more inclusive as LGBTI social movements are taking the streets to demand change. To most observers, Venezuela bucks this trend. My guest today thinks otherwise. I'm joined today by Tamara Adrián, Venezuelan human rights activist, lawyer, and member of Unidos por la Dignidad, an up-and-coming political and social movement advocating for the rights of the LGBTI community in Venezuela. In 2015, Tamara was elected to Congress during the 2015 National Assembly elections in Venezuela, becoming the first transgender member of Congress in Venezuela and the second in the hemisphere. Tamara, I've really been looking forward for this conversation and I'm glad we get to hear from you. As you may know, there is little to no English language analysis of the LGTBI movement in Venezuela. So hopefully we're able to begin filling that gap today. So again, thank you, Tamara, and welcome to Veneco. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I am very proud of being here and uh, to contribute in, in somehow to the knowledge about the uh, horrendous situation of LGBTI people in Venezuela. So, Tamara, let's start with more or less recent events. I have to admit, I was very surprised with the sheer size of the LGBTI march in June of last year on the streets of Caracas. It was much bigger than anyone expected and shows, I think, not only the power of organized movements in the country, despite the overall circumstances, but we do know that Venezuela is still a largely conservative society across partisan lines. Talk to us about the current state of the LGBTI movement in Venezuela. What are their main demands? Uh, let me start, Juan, by uh, the statement you made about the, the fact that Venezuelan uh, population is quite conservative. I am not so sure about uh, that. I, uh, I've been working in, on the grassroots for many, many years, and uh, the, the experience we have is that the majority of uh, of the Venezuelan population, uh, it's uh, it's not conservative. It's it's uh, just uh, open to LGBTI people and respectful of LGBTI people. Nonetheless, as everywhere in the world, uh, you have this uh, probably 20, 30 percent of very vocal fundamentalist groups, uh, particularly linked to the uh, the open Pentecostal groups. Um, in the evangelical neo-Pentecostal groups and the radical Catholic groups. And, uh, uh, yes, they, they are very hateful as uh, these same groups are very hateful all around the world. And, uh, uh, the fact that they are so hateful put them, puts them in, in the situation of, uh, being very vocal in the, uh, social media. 
particular Twitter and uh, Instagram, etc. And uh, that uh, might be the reason why uh, you have this impression that uh, uh, Venezuelan population is conservative. I don't think it's more conservative than the Colombian or Equatorian or Mexican or Brazilian or Argentinian population. We have nonetheless a problem that uh, we haven't been able to to talk about any uh, of the problems of the 21st century uh, in Venezuela because of the regime in power uh, for 23 years now. The situation is that uh, we haven't been able to talk about what inclusion means, what uh, social development mean, means, what uh, uh, environmental care means, uh, and uh, in general, we haven't been able to speak about the problems of the 21st mm -hmm. century. And that's it's another another subject. And sometimes people that in general, in the day-to-day -day life are, are quite um, open to talk and have uh, friendships with LGBTI people. At the same time, if you ask them if you, they are in agreement with equalitarian yeah. marriage or we can equal marriage or or with the legal recognition of identity of trans people they might say no i am not uh and uh, that is mainly not because they are fundamentalist and that they, they are uh in general against LGBTI people but because they do repeat what they have heard for centuries now that's very interesting and surprising to hear i have to say but i'm gonna play devil's advocate and give a little pushback to your assertion that venezuela is not so conservative you for example brought up movements in other countries in argentina colombia uruguay and others the movements in those countries are far more visible and by extension have advanced lgbti demands in ways that venezuela has failed to and as you've just mentioned it's not like Colombian society, for example, is any less conservative than Venezuelan society. Can you explain to us what the difference is? The difference is, is that in the in the current uh, situation we live in Venezuela, under this dictatorship we are facing in Venezuela, uh, there is no not rule of law, and uh, and the the, the uh, international uh, organism, uh, the rule of law as a disclosed this year uh, ranking of uh, the respect of uh, the rule of law around the world and Venezuela is the, the country 183 of 183 countries I mean it's the last one so is the worst uh, is the worst case of uh, absence of the, the rule of law absence of respect of uh, human rights and uh, and where you do not have access to the judiciary and uh, access to uh, the executive power, mm -hmm. the situation of of the LGBTI people, it's it's very very bad because of the fact that no one is protected in their rights, and uh, no one is willing to actually uh, concede or agree in uh, support of uh, LGBTI rights. The uh, dictatorship we have faced in the past 23 years have been 
very reluctant or completely reluctant to acknowledge the existence of LGBTI people and grant their rights. Uh, they use them or they announce that uh, every time there is an election, uh, they announce that uh, laws will be granted to LGBTI population and they have to support uh, Maduro and before they have to support uh, Chavez, etc. But when uh, they win the elections, win and what we have here as uh, elections that are far of being uh, free and fair, they just forget those promises and, uh, and continue uh, to act the same way. And that is the reason why when you have that uh, every, almost every country in the region has granted equal rights, and I'm talking about Mexico, Costa Rica, Colombia, Ecuador, Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, Bolivia, except for marriage, judicial um, awards, uh, the recognition of identity in, for trans people in, um, in Peru. And uh, now this year, because of this uh, award rendered by the Inter-American Court of Human Rights against Honduras also, Honduras is uh, recognizing the identity of uh, trans people as well as Salvador. Mm -hmm. uh, you see that uh, Venezuela, it's with uh, Paraguay, one of the sole two countries in South America, no human rights. Um, besides that, it's the only country, uh, the, the only Spanish speaking country that actually has a rule criminalizing same-sex relation, in this case, in the area of the military, um, according to the, the military code, same-sex couples relations are punished as uh, one to three years in prison. One of the demands, particularly within the transgender community, and you just referenced it, has been the right to legally change one's name to one that reflects their gender identity. Again, this is something that has been achieved in Argentina, Uruguay, and other countries in the region that you also mentioned. But I understand there has been a change as of last November, as it appears that institutions now have to comply with a 2009 Ley de Registro Civil, a civil registry law, which basically grants this right. Can you talk to us about this change? How did this come about? That was an announcement, mistaken announcement. Yes, we have been fighting in order uh, for the uh, National Electoral Council, which is uh, in Venezuela in charge of the civil registry, uh, to apply a law that exists since uh, January 1st, 2010. I mean, 10, 13 years ago. But it has not been, uh, that is exactly the same problem that I explained before, the, the absence of a rule of law. The, the uh, uh, law only acknowledged for the change of name, not sex. Mm. As opposite to that is happening in the rest of the region. I'm talking about Mexico, Costa Rica, Colombia, Colombia, Chile, Uruguay, Argentina, Chile, and Bolivia. And, and other countries such as uh, uh, Honduras and uh, El Salvador uh, as of this year. So uh, what you see, it's a reluctance just to comply with the law. 
and why the reason it's bias and discrimination. Let's shift gears now to the movement you are a part of, Unidos por la Dignidad, or United for Dignity in English. And it is very interesting. This is a movement that cuts across partisan lines. We see people here that have been part of Chavismo, but also activists like yourself who come from the more traditional opposition, and also people who have never been part of neither the opposition nor Chavismo. And this is something we rarely see in other movements in Venezuela, certainly the labor movement, uh, for example, or the feminist movement, where there are very clear partisan divisions. This, I think, is a great achievement. How was this achieved? I understand that the movement itself is not necessarily a single-issue movement. Talk to us about Unidos por la Dignidad. Uh, the um, organic law for political participation allows to register two kinds of political organizations. One political party and two social movements. Right. And uh, we choose this second the second idea of uniting people by interest, like by their common interests. In this case, LGBTI people, uh, women, people with disability, elder people, um, people that are um, um, part of the public administration, etc. As uh, the rule of law, as I said before, is not respected in Venezuela. Human rights of people are not respected for anyone. So uh, if you uh, unite people, uh, take into account their common interests, you will find, or they will find, that uh, they have a common struggle and that they have a common goal. And uh, as this is not a political party, but a, a social movement, it is interesting because we don't have an ideology. Uh, we have common political purposes. And the common political pur purposes is to reivindicate the rights of these excluded uh, people and uh, to serve as the, the way uh, to present candidates in two elections and uh, to run for elections. Uh, and uh, we are working in, in getting the authorization as, as a political organization. The name was allegedly uh, granted, but it has not appeared yet uh, in, in, the, in the official gazette, allowing us to pass to the second stage of the recognition of this political movement. Uh, we are waiting for that, but uh, let's say that in the past five years, no single political movement has been authorized in Venezuela. Verbally, we were told that we were, that our name was uh, authorized, but uh, there are more than 150 petitions before us. So probably they will have to decide on these 150 petitions and include them, uh, all them, um, in the official gazette. Those who are uh, granted, those who are not granted with the name. So you just mentioned Unidos por la Dignidad is non-ideological, but it is also a not a one-issue movement. What are some things that members of Unidos por la Dignidad agree on? 
Is there agreement, for example, over the desired economic system for Venezuela or, say, the legacy of Chavismo? Yes, we, we have basically four feet for this table that uh, we are constructing. Uh, the, uh, they might be expressed in maximum inclusion, social inclusion, maximum economical development, because uh, we, have this, what we have seen in the, in the past uh, 20 years, it's a um, bankruptcy of uh, Venezuela as a country, the, almost the disappearance of all the, the forms of, of economic activity, except for uh, commerce. And when I talk commerce, I talk uh, certain certain forms of, of trade. Right. And, and uh, uh, the third leg of this uh, movement is to fight for the reinstitutionization of Venezuela, because without institutions, we cannot we cannot uh, have the rule of law in place. And uh, the fourth, uh, it's the knowledge that these, all this has to be done with uh, full, full respect of uh, institutionality in Venezuela. Tamara, you yourself were a one-time member of Voluntad Popular, the political party of Juan Guaidó and Leopoldo López, or actually, I'm not sure if you still are, but I'm curious to know if there is a consensus position within Unidos por la Dignidad over whether to participate in the 2024 presidential elections. I did read that the movement has yet to decide whether to support any of the candidates running or if it's going to file its own candidacy. So let me ask you, will Unidos por la Dignidad support whoever wins a primary or does it have any specific demands for the opposition? Okay, one, I still uh, part of, of the Voluntad Popular because uh, as this is not a political party, we welcome people of all ideologies and all political parties. This is the, the, the main difference between a political party and a social movement uh, with political vote. And second, yes, we are uh, convinced that we have uh, uh, to participate in the primary elections and in the 2024 election, either by supporting a candidate, either by promoting a candidate. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't made the decision whether one or the other. One of the weaknesses, I think, of the traditional Venezuelan opposition has been its lack of linkages to grassroots social movements. We know, for example, in Bolivia, the backbone of the ruling power are campesino and indigenous movements. Similarly, in Chile, the student movement is what catapulted Gabriel Boric to the presidency. And the same is true of feminist and Afro-Colombian movements enabling the election of Gustavo Petro and Francia Márquez in Colombia. Why doesn't the traditional opposition have these sorts of linkages to grassroots social movements? In Venezuela, we haven't been able to talk and to discuss the issues of the 21st century. And uh, given that the, the political uh, 
the participants in political, the politicians themselves, are are quite away of the twenty uh, first century uh, way of mind and uh, how to analyze the the political and the social um, situations and uh, problems. And the problematics uh, are very different than they were in the 20th century. And uh, I think this this is a very common problem in Venezuela and that uh, at the same time, that's an opportunity for a group like us. I would also add that it would force the opposition to actually have a clear stance on social issues. So, for example, to this day, no one knows what is the stance of Acción Democrática on same-sex marriage or almost any of the other political parties, for that matter. I should probably single out your party, Voluntad Popular, as one of the few to actually offer a clear position on LGBTI rights. Um, but to wrap up this conversation, Damara, I'm curious to ask you about your own personal trajectory. Your story in and of itself is very inspiring, and you've achieved something that at least I thought was unthinkable, which is to become an elected member of Congress in Venezuela. So what is next for you? What would you like to achieve within the next year? Well, I would like to achieve exactly what uh, I said before, to create knowledge and to put on the on the table this 21st century issues that have not been discussed. What inclusion means, what social development means, what economical development means in the 21st century, which is very different in the 20th century, because uh, uh, we are now in the time of social responsible uh, enterprises, the social responsible um, corporations, and uh, where, where these uh, ways of inciding in the society and uh, incorporating into their goals uh, inclusion and diversity, uh, it's, it's a must. And uh, of these problems, we have not talked uh, in Venezuela. Uh, what, what inclusion and why diversity mean. And uh, again, I think that's an opportunity talk about these issues. Excellent. Well, I wish you the best of luck, Tamara. Unidos por la Dignidad has an uphill climb uh, for the year ahead, but I have to insist the fact that you've been able to group Chavistas and members of Voluntad Popular into a single movement I think is remarkable. Oh, and before we wrap up, where can people uh, find Unidos por la Dignidad? Say if someone listening to this conversation wants to join, how do they get in contact with the movement's leadership? Well, actually, in all the social media as Unidos por la Dignidad. And we'll make sure to include Twitter handles and other social media presence when promoting this episode. So I've been speaking to Tamara Adrián. She is a former member of Venezuela's National Assembly, human rights activist, lawyer, law professor, and a founding member of Unidos por la Dignidad. Tamara, thank you so much for speaking with us today. No, thank you to you for this opportunity. And thank you for listening to the latest episode of Veneco Podcast. Please be sure to follow us on social media as well as our website, venecopodcast.com. This was episode 16, and I'm your host, Juan Andres Misle. 
Stay tuned for more Veneco in the near future. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for the coming weeks and months. So please give us a rating and share this episode wherever you get your podcasts. The Veneco community appreciates it. Hasta la próxima.